Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of My JavaScript Story. This week, we're talking to Isaac Schluter. Now, uh, we've had Isaac on before, and I'm just going to kind of do the intro because I like the guy. Um, he used to be, I just found out, the CEO of NPM. I think last time we talked, you were the CEO of NPM. That's right. Um, co-founded it. Um, and I think we did an episode on JavaScript Jabber when uh, you went corporate, so to speak. Um, you know, you set up NPM Inc. and things like that. Um, and uh, yeah, just a lot of interesting things. You created NPM, if I remember right. You maintained Node for a while. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting a whole bunch of awesome stuff you've done. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think those are add? probably the, those are probably the two ones that uh, uh, people would know about. Um, yeah, I mean, I've just kind of been a, a open source busybody for what 10, 15 years now. Um, pretty active in the JavaScript ecosystem and community. Um, made a package manager that a lot of people still use. And yeah, a bunch of other kind of hobby projects. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. It's kind of interesting. Like the, only, the only coding I do now is it's all, it's all on my own time, like yeah. nights and weekends, hobby stuff. Well, I know how that goes. I spend, I spend all week podcasting and then <laughs> it's like, oh, I really wanted to code something. And so, yeah, I'll go find something to hack on. Yep. And I've actually hired somebody to do my coding for me, <laughs> which is, oh, kinda, really? yeah, it's, it's both uh, exciting and disappointing. Yeah. It's the beginning of the end, man. Watch out. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, let's dive in and talk about uh, your journey here. Uh, what's interesting is, is that we did an episode where we talked about how you got into code and JavaScript and we talked a bunch about how you created NPM and, you know, what it was like maintaining Node and all of that stuff. And people can go check that out. That's episode four of my JavaScript story. And we've had you on over the years too to talk about different aspects of NPM and Node. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm just kind of curious, you know, over the last two years um, since we did the my JavaScript story, um, I guess besides the changeover in role at NPM, are there other major things that have changed in your life or your uh, journey? Um, gosh, that's a big question. Um, well, I think that's uh, I think the sort of the the ecosystem and the landscape of JavaScript has has continued to to grow and develop, and that's been kind of interesting and exciting. Um, in terms of my personal like journey and, and uh, JavaScript story. Um, biggest thing is probably the shift from, from being CEO to uh, chief product officer. Um, you know, when I was, 
when I was CEO, I was, I was actually focused more on product than anything else. Um, but when you're, when you're running a company, I mean, there's, there's so many demands on your time and attention. It's really hard to kind of focus on any one thing. Uh, definitely takes a, takes a special sort of person to, to be able to juggle all that. Um, and so the, the decision to hire a CEO is really around, uh, you know, how do I, how do I actually just do what I'm, what I'm good at and not all these other things that I, I keep dropping on the floor. Um, you know, I, I'm probably, I'm probably too hard on myself, right? Like we, the company survived, we're, we're still around. So I did something right. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah. So, you know, as the company grows, it's, it's been really exciting to kind of watch this, this project and, and, uh, and team sort of grow and mature. Um, we've now I've hired a, a VP of product as well to kind of help, uh, operationalize this, uh, the product function at the company. So again, so I can kind of focus on more of the, um, bigger picture, like how is, how is NPM going to change the, change the landscape again the next time. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess the other probably pretty big thing that changed in my life and my relationship with open source and with JavaScript is, uh, my kid keeps getting older and bigger. Um, so, <laughs> they do uh, that. Yeah, they do. Um, so yeah, I have a three-year-old now, so she's uh, uh, very, uh, very fun to hang out with, and also very uh, draining and demanding. Yeah, I know how that goes. I have a three-year-old. She's my youngest, though. So, hmm. um, so you were already a pro by the time she showed up. Yeah, something like that, I guess. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the, the transition away from being the CEO. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people think that being the CEO is sort of, I, I guess they don't think of it as a job so much as just, uh, you know, hey, you know, this person's in charge, you know, and you get to be in charge and that's kind of the deal. So do you want to talk a little bit about that decision? Like, how do you decide, okay, I don't want to be the, or, or maybe you did still want to be, but felt like somebody else would be better for the position. And yeah, how that all came about. Well, so, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying this to brag, um, but I, I really, I genuinely do have zero ego around, um, you know, being in charge or being the one who makes the decisions right. or whatever. Um, I think that, uh, uh, yeah, you know, you, you use the phrase get to be in charge. I, I think the, the reality is when you're the CEO, you have to be in charge. And it's, it's, <laughs> I, it's I, I run my own gig here. I completely understand that. Right. Right. And as the team grows, right. Like, um, you know, I'm, I'm not very connected to like, I'm much like, I don't want to say I'm not connected to it at all. Like, obviously I have an ego, everybody does, but, right. um, the, the, uh, the sense of like, oh, I'm I'm the big head, you know, head honcho, and I I'm I'm in charge. And I get to boss people around, whatever. Um, that doesn't appeal to me nearly as much as just the company being successful and and executing on what what we're what we can do. Um, and I think really uh, NPM's potential is is so great that like, yeah. you know, if if we fail on it, if we fail to execute well, if we fail to to be successful. Um, the the downsides for me are, are so great, right? I mean, I, I, I'm very, very connected to the success of this project and company and, and community. Um, right. And so, yeah, like bring in an expert who knows how to run teams and has run a couple of companies and like went to school for this stuff and has some successes under their belt. Like I'm, 
you know, it's cute to think like, oh, this like, you know, engineer and open source, like product manager type dude can totally just step into that role and, you know, be everything or whatever. Right. Um, that's not realistic in, in real, in real life. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was, it was challenging to find somebody who'd be a good fit though. Um, and the, the other thing is like the, even though the, the CEO role can be passed on to somebody else, the, the founder hat really never comes off. Um, so I, I still am, you know, in probably as much or more of a leadership position as I was right. prior to, to hiring uh, a CEO and, and also the rest of the kind of executive leadership team that he's um, recruit and kind of built out. Um, but what I'm doing now is I'm, I'm actually responsible for things that I, I am much more passionate about and uh, much more knowledgeable in. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I've thought about doing the same thing for a lot of the same reasons. You know, it's just the, you know, I want somebody to be in charge of the overall um, making sure everything runs, which I guess is more of a COO, but then also, you know, the, the, the vision and the relationships and all that kind of thing. And then I can kind of add my vision in as kind of the founder or owner, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a different kind of thing. And I can go and focus on the things that I enjoy doing that are not necessarily part of a traditional CEO role. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. So what is your role then as chief product officer? <clears throat> um, so the, uh, it's a really vague term, right? It's a very, really vague job title. Um, yeah. and if you go to different companies, they might have different, uh, you know, different responsibilities under that title. Um, Essentially, though, I'm I am sort of where the buck stops in terms of our um, product function at the company, um, and you know, and this is also sort of another another area where I'm I have uh, I've totally Peter principled myself, right? I'm like I'm promoted way beyond the <laughs> the um, the scope of my actual expertise and and uh, people management just in in general, like I'm not as uh, as skilled at, and um, so that's part of of why I decided to bring in a VP of product as well. Um, right. But the, the, um, in the kind of broadest sense, uh, product is the function of the company that's sort of responsible for making sure that we're building the right things for the right people at the right time in the right order. Um, and where that aligns with my passions and where, you know, what, what I think I'm actually pretty good at is uh, uh, thinking through how, how changes to the product um, that we, that we deliver can actually affect changes within the, the workflows of JavaScript developers um, and kind of how that's going to change the landscape and how we can position ourselves and, and build things in a way that the community right. can serve themselves and, can push these changes forward in, in a way that's efficient for us. Um, and that's, that's something I think we did relatively well with NPM itself, right? With the NPM CLI um, and, and the whole kind of system of package management and the, the way that um, the NPM registry works and the node module system works. Like we made it very easy to do certain things that people were trying hard to figure out how to do. And right. as a result, they did them a lot more in that kind of, change the whole game, right? Change the whole landscape of how, how open source works in JavaScript. Um, 
And the, so the interesting thing for me is like, all right, so we've, we've solved some problems and in the process we've created new ones. How do we solve those problems and what are the new ones that are gonna come out of that, those new solutions? Right. Um, you know, when, when you have, um, if you reduce friction in a particular part of the workflow, like publishing packages, mm-hmm. then what happens is people no longer have as much of a barrier to doing that. So they do it more right. and more easily and they write smaller packages because why not? And before you know it, now they have, you know, 1600 packages in, in, in their node modules tree for even like a really basic React website or something. Um, and that imposes its own challenges, um, especially within enterprises where, where you can't be as quite as freewheeling about um, what code you use. Right. Uh, for example, if you have, you know, if you have, a hundred or a thousand developers building things in this way and they each of their projects have hundreds or thousands of, de- of dependencies. Um, if you're, you know, if you're a large bank or insurance company or something and you're using a, a piece of open source that doesn't have a license, you can be sued for that. Like you can, you can run into some really serious problems right. for the company. Um, now the, the processes that were built up in the, you know, largely in kind of the eighties and nineties um, mostly were designed around platforms and systems where you'd have a small number of open source dependencies, right? So I'd go to my compliance team and say, I would like to use Apache Tomcat and they would review it and they'd look at the license and they'd look at the team working on it. You know, it kind of has the, the Apache foundation seal of approval. So, okay. Uh, you know, in three to five business days, my, my, uh, my written request to use Apache Tomcat comes back approved and I go build my website. But if I right. submit a request for like, Okay, well, here's like 735 different developers scattered around the world who don't know each other. And they've written a sum total of 1,800 packages, and I'm going to use them all to ship our new uh, brochureware website. Like, you know, the compliance team looks at me like I'm crazy because that doesn't, that doesn't fit with their systems. Um, right. And so where, where I think we need to go is... Uh, to to build systems that make it easier for these companies to do this job um, in a way that serves the uh, serves the needs of these compliance folks, which is real needs, but also lets developers kind of do what they want to do, right? Like actually build sites and use uh, use the latest and greatest tooling to do it. Um, you know, when we look at the um, the the npm user base, we have around 11 million users of npm on a pretty regular basis. Um, and most of them have jobs, right? Most of them are working. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. If, if we had 11 million customers, I, I would be, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd be much happier, probably too busy on my, you know, private island to take time to do podcasts. But um, uh, no, you know, we, we have a lot of them. And, and the, the, the fact is most of them work at companies and a lot of them work at very large companies. A lot of them are kind of like, suffering through um, these sorts of like compliance hurdles. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a case where, you know, like everybody's doing their best and everybody is right. acting in good faith and trying to, trying to do right by themselves and their teams and their companies. But um, the systems are just kind of dated at this point. Um, so we're, we're uh, anyway, you asked me what I do as uh, chief product officer. I think about stuff like this. Um, right. And um, I'm also still very involved in just kind of how product runs uh, at this company. Although um, as uh, uh, Susanna, my VP of product comes up, 
I'm, I'm sure that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to push as much off my plate as I can uh, uh, as far as all that stuff works. Right. So where do you see yourself long-term then with NPM? Uh, long-term with NPM. I mean, I, I, I will probably always be involved to some degree, but um, I had this completely ludicrous goal when I was uh, maybe 25 that I would like, you know, figure out how to like start a startup someday and, and retire by the time I was 40. Mm -hmm. um, and as it happens, I'm turning 40 this year and I don't think I'm going to be able to retire this year, but that's, that's really my long-term plan. I, I want the, uh, I want the money without the day job. Right. You're turning 40. That is so old. Me too. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> yeah. So now I have to ask, are you older than I am? My birthday's in December. I am older than you are. Yeah. 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 It's, it's funny how life changes, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, so. Yeah, doctors it, don't try so hard. It's like, it's like that bit, right? They just, they just look at you and they go, gosh, wow, that sucks. Yep. <laughs> My youngest sister is 16 years younger than I am. And so, hmm. um, yeah, she, she looks at me like, yeah, we're just completely different stages of life. Yeah. So, yeah. But uh, anyway, so, so you've moved over to um, chief product officer. And, and what, another thing that I'm curious about, and this is something that people ask me about, and it's something that, you know, as you move up into the kind of the C-level role in whatever company you're working in, um, how much coding do you actually get to do? Um, well, I do a shocking amount of coding, but not at work. Um, it's, still, it's still one of my favorite hobbies. Um, right now, I'm, I'm really... I'm getting into the into the last kind of few bullet points of, of you know the last kind of major uh, things I need to do to finish up uh, Node Tap version thirteen. Um, node excited tap. about it. Yeah, Node uh, Node Tap. It's it's a, a test runner for for JavaScript. Um, uh, okay. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's probably like the the third or fourth most popular test runner on on npm after uh, Mocha and Jest and some others. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, uh, one of the, one of the things I love most about, um, about working on a test runner or a test framework, um, it's similar to what I love about package management. It's like, it is such a, um, it's such a hostile environment, right? Like, it, and it's a really challenging UX challenge because what you have are, these people are running these little mini programs against a test runner and they're designed to fail, right? They, the whole point is that your tests will uh, occasionally throw an error or a bar for crap out or right. do the wrong thing. And you have to kind of like handle any potential odd behavior in a way that is uh, meaningful and useful without drowning the user out with too much noise, right? Because the other, the mm -hmm. flip side of it is you run your tests all the time. So it has to right. be fast. It has to be terse. It has to kind of mm -hmm. like, get in and get out in the normal case and then right. blow up in a really useful way in the failure modes. Um, and that's just, uh, uh, I don't know. I just sort of find that to be a very, uh, very interesting and fun challenge. Um, the, uh, yeah. Otherwise though, in terms of coding, that's actually code that's actually used at, NPM, I mean, tap is used at NPM, but, um, on some of our projects, but, uh, uh yeah, I don't, I don't really do, coding as part of my job anymore. Some of my side projects are used um, 
some of the projects I've worked on are used in the, particularly still in the CLI, um, the, the node uh, tar implementation that, that mm -hmm. NPM uses is in, um, I, I maintain that, a um, couple of other little things. Right, that's awesome. I need to just make more time for coding. I, I don't do it as much as I wish I could. Does it make you sad that code's not part of your job? Uh, no, I mean, I, I like, um, I like what it is that my job is now. Um, the, uh, if, if anything, um, one of my goals, you know, as I was, whenever I was, I was working in a job that, that involved a lot of, uh, coding, it was always kind of like, I was always trying to figure out how to make it more like open source. Um, you know, and eventually landing at, at a situation where my job was to work on an open source project, uh, in the node project. Um, I don't know. I, I think, you know, if you, if you want a tip for, for how to make more time for coding, my, my, my best advice is just sleep less Like go to bed early, but don't actually, <laughs> <sleep. It's laughs> um, but, uh, uh, no, I mean, it's, it's a very different experience, right? It's more like, it's more like tending a garden and less like farming. Makes sense. So one other thing, and you know, I don't know how much you can talk about this because I'm, I'm sure you've had and still have discussions about it, but uh, we did an episode a few weeks ago about the event stream um, issue that came up, you know, where there were some, uh, th there was some bad stuff. <laughs> we'll just put it that way in one of the packages. And it's curious because everybody was talking about, okay, so, you know, who's to blame or maybe a better conversation was, you know, where do we fix this, right? Do we fix it at the community? Do we fix it at NPM? Do we fix it at some other level? Um, and, and I'm curious, how do you approach and how does this affect you, you know, you personally and uh, you NPM as a company when these kinds of things come along and you, you have to deal with something that's super unpleasant at the company, right? I mean, nobody was happy about the way that that went down. And I don't know if anyone's really happy about any of the solutions that have been proposed either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, security is interesting. I, I think, um, and I think particularly the, the event stream event uh, uh, was a really interesting sort of case study in, in, in that, um, you know, there, there are a couple of really, fascinating takeaways that I think a lot of folks missed. Um, mm -hmm. One of them is, uh, and this is, this is kind of like an interesting 2020 hindsight. Um, the developer who did it, all right, right. The person who published the, the malware, they went to so many lengths to sort of cover up their tracks and cover up their trails and make it impossible for anybody to figure out what it was that they did. Um, that that itself was actually kind of a, a, a red flag for a lot of folks, right? The, the thing that made right. somebody sit up and take notice was like, why is there, why is there obfuscated code in this open source project I'm using? Right. If they had just not obfuscated it, if they just had it like in a function where the function also does normal stuff and kind of just hid in plain sight, probably would have lasted a lot longer. Um, the other thing, uh, the other thing that's interesting about it is just the amount of attention and um, uh, sort of concern that it raised. Um, right. For, for something that affected, you know, 
the folks that it affected, I'm, I'm not going to say, I don't want to like trivialize the, the impact that it had on, on uh, Coinbase and a couple other parties who were, who were, um, who were being targeted by it. But like, it was not, um, it was not damaging a large number of computers or a large number of people. Right. Um, right. And I think there's something really fascinating that happens, right? It's, a, it's the same reason why people are so much afraid of so much more afraid of, you know, like terrorists than car accidents, even though like you, you are not going to die from a terrorist. Your car accidents are way more damaging, right? Like they're right. way more um, scary actually in, in, in like actual numbers. Um, most of the security vulnerabilities that come to light are, are not malware. They are, you know, somebody is not properly escaping a string. Mm-hmm. They're using a regular expression right. in a way that if you send it some malformed input, it'll crash your server. Like these are, and these are things that are like garden variety, just human slip ups. Um, yep. And somebody yeah. finds them before somebody else exploits them. And so. Or, or not. I mean, <laughs> right. Like, I guess that's they, true. Or they sit out there for, you know, for a long time. And I, I think the, um, like the issue that happened with, um, it was Equifax, right? Not Experian. It was Equifax. Yeah. Equifax. Yeah. Um, that was actually a perfect example of security gone wrong. Um, mm-hmm. it was not malware. It was not, uh, you know, they didn't, they didn't download something evil from the open source community. They actually just kept shipping a thing that they didn't realize was out of date for, mm-hmm something like nine months um, and somebody who was just kind of scanning the internet for, for servers advertising what version they were found one that was vulnerable and then exploited it. Um, yeah. And then the exploit happened and nobody had any alerting around it. They didn't actually notice for a really long time. So the, the attackers got away with, you know, everyone's personal data. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that is a much more common story. That's, that's actually a much more common failure mode, right? That's like, right. like, yeah, we're, we're all, we're all afraid of ISIS or whatever, but you know, you're going to probably just die because you sat down on your couch too long for too many years. Like, right. you know, this, this little bit of like active discipline will, will prevent so much more hazards. And so, right. um, that's, that really, you know, I, I think we don't beat this drum enough, um, to be completely honest, but um, that's one of the things that informs how we approach security at NPM and how we, uh, why we rolled NPM audit out to do everyone. Um, what we what we sort of found was like, yeah, initially we were thinking of uh, NPM audit just as a like a paid only feature, and we uh, we did some initial reporting and like, okay, well, how many vulnerabilities are people actually installing? Because I, I, you know, I sort of had this idea of like, we have this self-image as as diligent, competent people who, of course, stay up to date with all of our updates. And we looked at what everyone was actually downloading, and we said, "Oh crap! Like this is this is bad. We got to help them." Um, well, and that's the thing. I, I, to your point, there, it's. I mean, I just npm install, right? I don't look at what's coming in. <laughs> I don't. I'll admit it. How can you? Right. Yeah. And yeah, how can I even begin to look at, look at it and say, okay, this is what I'm bringing in. This is what all these things do. So, yeah. And I think that's what scared everybody too, was that everybody does that, you know? Mm -hmm. 
it's I'm I'm gonna do express so npm install minus g express or whatever right and you know and then you're you get all of the dependencies and you don't even look at them yeah you, you don't need to and everything's works. good <laughs> so um, yeah so the the uh, uh, things like that um, I I really think there's no point trying to change human nature. Um, the goal of, you know, software development should be such that you can be lazy about mm -hmm. stuff like that, right? The whole point of a package manager is um, that I can just NPM install Express and then I get Express and it just works. Like that's, yep. that's actually how it's supposed to work. Um, and so any solution that says, well, okay, what we need to do to prevent the next Express stream or event stream is everybody be super on, you know, heightened alert at all times. It's like, that's, that's not realistic. No. Um, the, uh, uh, the stuff that we actually have planned, um, and I'm going to like, you know, make the classic like product manager mistake and start talking about the future. Um, <laughs> instead of the present, uh, what, what we have, so what we have now, um, with NPM enterprise with NPM in the open source community and with orgs is like, good ways for people to collaborate um, in ways that re require a lot less sort of uh, moment by moment communication, right? If you're using, if you're using GitHub to share dependencies with each other, or if you don't have good search and discoverability, you have to go, like go and ping people and say, Hey, I pushed an update. It fixed a security problem. Hurry up and do it. Right. right. Um, the whole, the whole MO and the purpose of, of NPM is to make that process much more scalable by removing a lot of the explicit human to human touch points. Um, right. So instead what I do is I just publish a version that fixes the problem and you get it because NPM is telling you, Hey, you need this new version. It fixes the security problem. Mm -hmm. um, where we're going is uh, especially in, um, in NPM enterprise uh, adding ways for people to have more visibility into what projects they're, um, what projects are being worked on in their enterprise instance, um, making it easier for them to be aware of security issues. So, you know, for example, if I, um, if I install something today and I run the check today and then a vulnerability comes out two months later, like how do I know that that happened and that I have to go back and update it if I haven't touched or right. looked at that project in a long time. Um, and I, I think the, um, the level of the level of detail in the data that we have and the way that we can kind of make a lot of that stuff really visible and, and seamless is, is really going to change and, and uh, change the way that JavaScript is done at a lot of these enterprise companies um, in a, in a really significant way, in a way that I think improves the lives of, of the people who are writing that code. Right. That makes sense. So what is um, NPM enterprise? I know we've talked about this on other shows, but, um, I'm uh, curious what it is and where you're heading with it. Right. So we actually just released uh, push to GA our um, our new SaaS based enterprise system. Um, we had a product a while ago that was uh, uh, on prem software and it wasn't wasn't as good. So we made it better. Um, the uh, the SaaS is a you know you get your own domain name. It integrates with single sign on. Uh, it's a fully isolated uh, single tenant system. And so um, anything that you publish into it can only be accessed by people who have, uh, who can log into that instance. Right. Um, 
It has support for NPM audit, which is, I believe, still unique among uh, enterprise JavaScript registries. Um, there, uh, a couple of the others have their own security add-on tools, but I, I really think that you need to you need to integrate this all the way into the developer experience, all the way down to the actual tools that developers are using. If there's even a um, even a slight extra step that I have, like extra hop that I have to go through in order to run a security scan, um, I'm just not going to do it, right? Oh yeah. And, and so that's that's why npm audit fix will you know it'll tell you like, hey, there, I found I found six problems. You can run npm audit fix to fix them. Like people do. I mean, we we see mm -hmm. that happening in our logs in our uh, registry activity. So. Um, yeah, so that's that's sort of it in a nutshell. The the main value proposition today for NPM Enterprise is that uh, it allows you to do more granularly and and, and sort of broadly uh, collaborate between teams at a large company. So if you have, you know, if you have a hundred developers and the web team needs to pull in packages that are being created by the platform team, then you get kind of the benefits of the NPM experience. Each of them can be in their own separate orgs with their own, uh, you know, package names and everything, um, and sort of manage their own their own workflows, and then collaborate between between teams uh, in a way that's very efficient and scalable. Right. That's really interesting. So if, if I, I guess uh, if people feel like they're kind of on the edge of needing something like this. How do they determine, okay, we, we should really give enterprise a look? Um, well, I think the, uh, you know, the best rule of thumb is um, if you're like 20 developers or less and you're working in, a, a, you know, probably like a single team, I, I think the average team size for orgs is around uh, six or seven. Mm -hmm. um, at that size, our orgs product is probably fine. It's, um, it doesn't have support for single sign-on. You don't get your own dedicated domain name, but it's easy. You just yeah. you know, create NPM accounts and add people to teams and stuff. Yep. Um, beyond that, you know, when you get up towards the like 20 to 50 to 100 developer level, um, NPM Enterprise is a really good fit for, for what we've seen. Um, the, uh, like I said, currently the best value uh, sort of value proposition most directly appeals to people who are like managers of engineering managers. Um, sort of if, if you're at a company big enough where that's a, a job that you have, it's not just all the engineers report to the CTO, um, mm -hmm. then NPM Enterprise is a really good fit because now you have people who, uh, you know, can't schedule a meeting to tell somebody that they updated a new version of a package. Right. And I, you know, we've talked to, we've talked to, to, um, customers and, and prospects and stuff and, and people at companies were like literally the way that they share code at their company is Slack. Like they go post in Slack whenever they push a new version into their, into their repository. <laughs> and the, and the way that you find what's available is you search in Slack and it is, Oh man, it's like, it's banging terrible banging rocks together. I mean, it's so dark ages. Um, or, you know, the, the, the somewhat, that's actually a pretty advanced, uh, approach. Um, much more common is they have an internal wiki and you have to know to update it when you update a package. And you, to, you know, they use like, like how do you search for packages? Like a command F like it's uh, it's pretty rough. Um, and when you get into, you know, large companies with hundreds or thousands of packages, that's just really, really yeah. tedious and awful. Um, 
a lot of the repository management systems out there, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not opposed to binary artifact repositories, but um, they really are just repositories of binary artifacts and they don't have the level of um, uh, search and discovery and team management capabilities that NPM does. And that's, you know, that's, that's why we use NPM rather than a giant FTP server that everybody just uploads stuff to. Like you actually want to see the readme files. You want to be able to search based on keywords or uh, look at who the developer is that manages a thing and, you know, have some sense of like, do you, is this somebody whose code you've used in the past and you liked it? Right. Or, you know, are they a bozo who's difficult to work with? You know, <laughs> so we, we had some of those in, in open sources. I'm, I'm sure you're aware. Um, <laughs> but no, that uh, never happens. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've been that bozo enough times that I can, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm punching down. Um, uh, yeah. So enough of us have been. So, yeah. 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 So that's, um, and that's kind of the, um, in a in essence, like NPM enterprise is an NPM that's for one customer. That's for one company. Right. Awesome. So, uh, so what are you working on now? I mean, we've talked about a lot of things, some of which you are working on now, but yeah. What, what, what are kind of the big pieces that you're, you're looking at these days? Um, the biggest thing I'm looking at right now is uh, uh, with, with my VP of product, we just, we need to hire product managers. Um, mm -hmm. We have, uh, um, we had a PM who uh, uh, moved on to another role at, at Google. Um, he'd, uh, he'd been with the company for, for about five years, you know, like mm -hmm. one of our first employees. And um, right. it was definitely just sort of a time for a change in his career. Um, so, you know, no hard feelings or anything, but um, uh, yeah, so that, and that's actually left us where like, I, I hired a VP of product and I knew that we needed to hire another product manager and then one left. So I'm like, okay, well, we're, we're starting more or less from, uh, from ground zero on this org. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a lot of really interesting, but also very challenging kind of org design questions. Um, and then also just sort of in the uh, sort of six to 18 months time frame, like where do I want this company to be in terms of our product portfolio, in terms of um, our partnerships and ways that we're going to have a really meaningful impact on the, on the JavaScript community. Right. Cool. And is there a place that people can kind of follow up on that stuff or see what your thoughts are and what you're working on? Um, I should probably document my thoughts on what I'm working on a little bit more. Um, you know, the, the moment to moment feed uh, is probably twitter.com slash IZS. Um, mm -hmm. Like Igloo Z Zulu T Sierra. Uh, but uh, yeah, otherwise just npmjs.com. I mean, is, is the place to look for, what's going on at NPM. Um, we've also got the uh, NPMJS Twitter account. We've got a Facebook page. We've got a LinkedIn page. We've got all the things. Nice. And um, yeah, I think I saw something uh, about you guys hiring. Um, you, you mentioned hiring uh, project managers, but are you hiring other positions as well? Uh, so right now, I believe we have an opening for uh, product management, for design, uh, you can go to npmjs.com slash jobs and uh, yeah, what do we got? Software engineer platform at senior SRE, sales solution architect, uh, biz dev manager, product manager. Um, 
so yeah, we're we're uh, we're hiring in a bunch of different areas, and I, I suspect we will be for the foreseeable future. We, we've grown in the last um, in the last couple months from like thirty five people up to about sixty, and we still have another uh, couple of open recs. So it's it's definitely like a, a little bit of a growth mode for the company right now. Right. Very cool. And uh, yeah, I, I also uh, know that you've hired some people. Uh, a lot of the folks that you've hired are uh, not in, where are you based out of Oakland? Yeah, we're based out of Oakland, but we're a very distributed team. Um, I believe our furthest folks right now, we've got some people in uh, South America, in Europe, um, scattered across the US, uh, two, I believe in Halifax, Canada. Oh, wow. uh, one who's kind of a digital nomad and bounces around mostly Mexico. Um, so yeah, we've, uh, but I, I think here in, here in Oakland, we probably have more people than any other place. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're generally pretty remote friendly. Um, though we do have a little bit of a, a center of gravity here. Cool. Well, anything else that we should dive into here or anything else that you've been thinking about or working on? It doesn't necessarily even have to relate to NPM. Um, Hmm. We talked about test frameworks probably more than I should have. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> no, it's, it's good. We need <laughs> to get box. you on uh, JavaScript Jabber to talk about it some more. Sure. Sure. I'd be happy to. Um, let me, uh, let me finish it up. It'll probably be about another month or so before I'm actually able to publish it. Like I said, I, I only work uh, nights and weekends on it and got some other demands on my time. Yep. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much it. You know, there's a, um, something interesting that happens when you have a, a startup and a kid and, and a life like it's, uh, you don't have a lot of hobbies. Yeah. I know how that goes too. Yeah. I have, I have five kids in the, you know, the whole startup thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Five is wow. That's hats off to you, dude. Um, at, at a certain point though, they, uh, they become, uh, your slave or, uh, they, they help you with the other kids. <laughs> They're, are they so they're starting to clump together? Yeah, I, I have uh, I have a one, and I'm we're, we're gonna stop there. <laughs> Teach their own. Yep. Yep. Good deal. All right. Well, um, I guess uh, before we go to picks, if people want to follow you online, you mentioned Twitter already. Mm -hmm. um, are there other places where people can look and see what you're doing? Uh, I'm Isaacs on GitHub and on npm. Um, or yeah, uh, Twitter, IZS. Uh, those, those are probably the main places. Uh, my website's uh, blog.izs.me, but I, I don't write there. As, I don't write long form as much as I probably should. Okay. Cool. Well, do you have some picks? Some things you want to shout out about on the show? Um, let's see. What have I been, what have I been doing lately? Um, some picks. Uh, one pick that is kind of uh, tech and JavaScript jabbery related. Um, I've been really enjoying using something called ink lately. It's a, um, it's a platform that lets you use react to write command line apps. Oh, cool. So it basically takes like a react app and, and instead of mounting it in a web browser Dom, it mounts it in ANSI codes and the CLI. Um, so the, the new version of tap is going to use ink for its, uh, for its reporting and, pretty fancy it's fun um i need to get that on the react podcast 
In, uh, yeah, definitely check it out. Um, in the uh, uh, less JavaScripty world, um, I've been watching Umbrella Academy. It's a really good show about stuff going horribly wrong. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's basically uh, like what if X Men, but real life, and wouldn't that be terrible? And the answer is yes, it would be terrible. Um, yeah. Uh, the uh, it's very dark. It's not not for children. Um, and the third thing, there's a um, an iOS game I've been playing quite a bit lately called I Love Hue, like Hue, like the color. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a it's a tile sorting game where, well, if you if you look at it on the App Store, you'll you'll see it's a uh, extremely soothing if you're into uh, taking a disordered amount of you know a disordered pile of colored tiles and putting them in in color order. It's incredibly intoxicating. <laughs> Sounds interesting. Cool. How about you? Um, Anything I should check out? Yeah, I'm going to throw in a few picks here. So, um, I just got back from a conference called PodFest. Uh, this is not a technical conference. It is a podcasting conference. Um, it was held in Orlando this last weekend, and boy, it was just a terrific experience. I met so many terrific people. I think I went to I, one session. And it was because my friend was giving it and he basically said I had to be there. So, um, but yeah, just talking to all of the uh, sponsors, vendors, talking to just people around the conference. Um, I've got a ton of ideas for some great stuff and I am just really excited about some of the possibilities that are out there for podcasting and for, you know, outreach and things like that. So I'm excited for that. Um, on the way down and on the way back, I did get a catch up on a few shows. Um, I, I kind of tend to binge watch just because I get busy. Um, I, you you kind of get how this is, you know, where you're running a company and trying to take care of kids and, you know, do the family stuff. And then also anything else that's out there, you know, I don't, I don't know what the rest of your life looks like, but mine includes a church and I'm involved in scouting and I'm on the board of my kid's school and, you know, and so I just... I don't have time to watch a ton of TV. And so when I'm on an airplane, <laughs> sometimes I, I do that instead of working. So um, The Expanse uh, season three is up on Amazon Prime. And apparently oh, yes. sci-fi canceled it. And then Amazon picked it up. Yeah, I was I was really thrilled to see that uh, that Amazon did pick it up. Um, yeah, I, I haven't watched the third season yet, but it's it's certainly on my list. It was pretty darn good. They They did a really good job with it, so... Um, I, I'm going to recommend that. Um, and what's funny is I watched the first two seasons on Amazon Prime. And uh, so I went and looked for, okay, when is sci-fi releasing the third season? And that's how I found that out. So, <laughs> um, But yeah, so I was sad they canceled it, but I'm glad that Amazon saved it. And we're seeing that more and more, I think, with some of these shows. So, um, so I'm going to pick that. The other show that I'm going to pick is The Travelers. Or Travel I think it's just Travelers. It's on Netflix. It's a Netflix original. Um, and it, it's like 10 episodes per season. And I'm not all the way through the last season they've released, which is also season three. But uh, the premise is, is that um, there are a series of calamities that um, uh, humanity is like not great in the future. So there's this artificial intelligence called the director 
that sends people back in time, sends their consciousness back in time, um, right before a person dies, right? So they're not killing anyone who wouldn't have already died. Um, and then these people basically are trying to change the future. And so, you know, they, they succeed in changing the future, but it has other ramifications in the present. So anyway, it's, it's, it's a fun show and, and really interesting. And I've, I've enjoyed that. So I'm going to pick that as well. Um, and then, yeah, I'm also getting into Firebase these days. So I've been playing with that. And uh, so I'm going to pick that as well. Uh, the last thing that I'm going to pick, I know I'm, I'm full of picks, lots of picks. Um, I started up my blog, uh, my personal blog again. And this isn't a place where I really, it, it's kind of where I blog about all the stuff that doesn't relate to programming or freelancing or business or things like that because um, I put all that stuff on devchat.tv. I'm going to start blogging over there again too. But um, yeah, so this is like uh, personal journaling kind of stuff or if I want to post about you know something political or you know religious, spiritual or things like that that yeah, don't fall under stuff that you know dev chat's about. Um, but yeah, I'm using Eleventy, which is a static site generator and I really like it. Um, and I've been posting that to Netlify and I'm, I'm really happy about that too. So I'm going to pick those. Cool. Um, yeah. One other thing I, I forgot actually, uh, there's a, a podcast I wanted to pick called do by Friday, like D O by Friday, not, mm -hmm. not that something is due by Friday. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know if, um, uh, if you were ever a fan of you look nice today, back in the day. Uh -uh. Um, it's, uh, it's sort of the uh, like spiritual successor to that in some ways. Um, I, I feel like it's it, run by um, Max Temkin and Alex Cox and Merlin Mann. Uh, Max Temkin and Alex Cox both work for uh, Cards Against Humanity. Uh, Max okay. Temkin, I think, is the CEO there. Um, and Merlin Mann is Merlin Mann from the internet. Right. Um, and the, uh, the conceit of the show is every week they do a challenge and then, uh, come on the show and talk about it. But it's, it's just, it's hilarious. Nice. I'll have to check that out. That sounds fun. It's, um, it's one of those I recommend actually starting from the beginning. Like there is some like, uh, current event stuff that's a little bit, uh, less timeless, but, um, yeah, or or just go back a few episodes, so at least you kind of have some context for their uh, for their in jokes. Right, that makes sense. I guess I'll throw another one into uh, something I discovered at Podfest. They had a table, or like I can't remember what they called it, but it's like the association the association for audio dramas. And audio dramas are uh, programs, sort of like the old time radio programs, where they you know before TV was invented, and right. so it, it's. It's narrative along with voice acting and sound effects. And uh, I've been listening to one called We Are Alive. You can find it at wearealive.com. And uh, it's basically zombie apocalypse. And uh, it's been kind of fun to listen to. It's, it's a different flavor from your typical audiobook or podcast. So. Cool. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, wrap this up. So I have another interview in five minutes. But thanks for coming, Isaac. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was great to catch up and uh, good luck with everything going forward. Thank you very much. All right, folks, we'll wrap up and we will catch you all in a week. 
Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.